1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. Welcome in to a fresh and free state of recruiting. I'm your host, John Garcia Jr., director of football recruiting at Sports Illustrated, si.com, and we've got a lot to talk about today. But we want to be narrow in today's point. We're going to dig into the three key takeaways from the 2023 All American Bowl just wrapped up in San Antonio, Texas. The East blows out the West, but within all of that a lot to get to. Before we dig into that, Happy New Year. It's the first SOR of 2023. And as we did at the end of 2022, we want to urge you, follow the fine folks at CFB Nation, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are consuming this audio that I am presently creating. Follow those folks, rate, subscribe, subscribe, Comment and follow along with all of the great college football-centric content coming from the CFB Nation family, from the All-America podcast to the Lucky Lefty, and of course the Irish breakdown folks covering you A to Z with all things no true dame. Okay. So the 2023 All-American Bowl has wrapped. Uh, the Under Armour All-America game has also wrapped. So we are officially at the end of the 2023 college football recruiting cycle in our portion of the business in the rankings recruiting rating industry it is now crunch time this was the final national sample we will get from these high school seniors before putting that final pen to paper so for us at sports illustrated my last task here for this class is to wrap up the SI 99 so we had the preseason SI 99 and then we'll have the postseason SI 99 here in January so the All-American Bowl is really the last physical stop for us from a watch standpoint in terms of live new fresh content with good players going against other good players which is something we do not get typically on Friday night
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate
1: it's easy to over scout, analyze these games. But when you do have certain samples where you have that clarity, that good on good that you don't normally get, you have to take away a little bit more from those situations. For example, this is an all-star setting. You watched that Under Armour game about a week ago, and there was no offense, no continuity. Everything was a scramble, and the defenses on both sides, Team Phantom and Team Speed, dominated the day. You watch the All-American Bowl, and on one side, there was some dominance on both sides of the ball, and everybody else was catching up. So the East looked comfortable on offense and defense, mainly because of Dante Moore and a really strong offensive line spearheaded by Samson Oak, and Lola, Um, and a couple great defensive plays. They created early turnovers and were able to widen that score pretty darn early. So we got a little bit of convention in that the Eastern defense was really strong. This is a defensive it's really a defensive setting right i mean if if you are if you have to take away something from these events you want to put a little bit more stock into anything you see from a progression standpoint offensively compared to defensively because it's really easy to say hey it's cover 1 go downhill goal attack go cover your guy conversely these offenses these quarterbacks these o-lines trying to create continuity and chemistry in a couple of days is really hard, right? It's not your system, it's not your terminology, yet it has to be simplified from the coaching staff's perspective. These are all defensive laden situations when you get to the all-star setting, much like in the offseason, how all of the camp settings are offensive laden, especially in the skill positions, right? Uh receiver DB one-on-ones, running back, linebacker one-on-ones. The offense has the advantage by a long stretch. It flips during all-star season and the defense has that advantage because it just takes offensive schemes and situations longer to come together. So for that, you understand the East's dominance on the defensive front. Keon Keeley was great. Uh, I mean, Brennan Vernon, one-handed interception. Caleb Downs has an interception. Great players made great plays defensively for the East all day long. Uh, there was a big uh, sack fumble uh, beyond the interceptions, a, a strip as well. So, um, the Eastern defense really looked apart, but but the East offense was humming, especially in the first half, and that's not something we are used to seeing in in these kind of settings. And really, Dante Moore was that trigger man. Uh, four touchdown passes. He was named the game's MVP. It really wasn't close. I don't even know if there was another player in that discussion. I've, I've been to that All American Bowl several times, and. They usually pass around the note in the third quarter. Hey, who's your MVP pick? I don't know if anybody could have put down another name other than Dante Moore's. And that's where I want to start with with the actual takeaways from this game. I won't take up too much of your time. I know you're trying to get to the final NFL weekend. Um, The college football playoff is right on the horizon. So we'll give you some picks there at the very end of it. But it has to start with Dante Moore because... This kid has found a way to answer the bell at just about every scenario that you could possibly be put in as a high school quarterback. For instance, ninth grader, elevated to the starting position. Holy crap, what do I do? How do I adjust? Take this team on a deep playoff run to the state title game. They lost. After that point, two years later, gets over that hump and wins a state title in between his junior year and senior year for us at SI wins the elite 11 running away to a large degree over Jackson Arnold and company. And then as a senior comes back, wins another state championship at Martin Luther King high school in Detroit and follows it up with this postseason performance where all week he was arguably the best quarterback in the practice settings, which is great. Not a ton there sometimes, but it's still good to look good on air. But then you get to the game and he puts in an MVP performance. So he's won just about every single accolade that you could throw uh, or bestow uh, upon a high school quarterback. And he's answered the bell, the call, and dealt with all of these kind of ridiculously high expectations, like all along the way. So Dante Moore has answered the bell here at every step of the way, whether it's emerging on the radar, being thrust into a leadership position as, as a young teenager developing his game and co- being called to win and compete at the highest level thereafter. Um, so with this performance in particular, it's not a huge surprise. Let, let's start there, right? It, it's, it's the year of the quarterback and we've had Dante Moore number one from the beginning at SI. So I, I can't say I'm surprised by a four TD kind of easy looking performance. And by the way, this wasn't just, Hey, clean pocket, step up, throw the football, boom, target is there. Touchdown. Dante Moore was getting hit, especially early in that first quarter. There were a lot of the – two of the four touchdowns were in the face of pressure. One of them to Carnell Tate was a beautiful bang eight where he threw off his back foot because he had to buy an extra half second of time to allow his receiver to separate. Um, A couple other ones were routine. Uh, The the back pylon fade to Brandon Ennis after that first turnover was just kind of catch and go, seven on seven almost. Uh, as was the the fourth touchdown the swing pass where he had to drop the arm angle to get the ball out uh to Justice Haynes the Alabama signee for that touchdown but the bang eight to to Carnell Tate uh, in particular was probably Dante's best uh, throw of the game among those four touchdown passes again he faced a lot of pressure uh in some in having to make some of those plays so it wasn't just clean pocket fire and and you're good to go let's celebrate there was movement skills uh toughness uh, and obviously anticipation and trajectory that had to play into it so dante was able to show off some mobility certainly great mechanics multiple arm angles and the ability to work off script and touch and i think touch is really where he's become the best in the country specifically right i i think If you broke down quarterback traits, you probably wouldn't put Dante Moore number one at specific categories, right? I mean, footwork, he'd be close to one, experience and maybe decision-making. But in terms of the physical, he wouldn't be number one for arm strength. That'd probably be Nico Iomaliaba, Jaden Rashada, Jackson Arnold, guys, who might be a little bit ahead of him. He isn't number one for athleticism. Uh, He isn't number one for frame. You know, he's 6'2", 200 pounds, 210 pounds, or So he isn't number one in any one physical category, but you start put, putting everything together and think about some of the physical stuff. He does do well enough to where he's number two or number three in those categories across the board. And you build up to to that number one ranking. Um, the, the numbers are there. The production is there. The processing is absolutely there. And the pure playmaking is there. I, I think. Touch, you know, touch is 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 an. Increasingly critical trait to watch with quarterbacks, right? Uh, How many times are you not clean in the pocket? How many times are you able to step into your throw um, in those windows? Those are less available than they used to be. And conversely, you're throwing the ball more than you ever have just in the nature of college and NFL football. So touch and anticipation have become just as important as processing uh, arm strength and the ability to work off script. But really, when you when you talk about Dante Moore, it's just that whole package. It's that whole package that elevates him to number one. So first big takeaway from the All-American Bowl for us, and this is probably a bit of a preview and a cheat sheet if you're looking forward to those SI99 rankings when they release uh, here in the next week or so, Dante Moore has done everything to ascend to that number one spot and maintain that number one spot, both at quarterback and nationally in my opinion. Uh, this game reinforces a lot of those uh, scenarios. I uh, I I do, I am curious to see schematically how Dante will assimilate within Chip Kelly's offense. Um, th- this is something that uh, neither party's had to deal with, right? Dante's had that continuity at, at MLK for the last few years, and obviously uh, Chip Kelly's had DTR for the last five years at UCLA. So now they both have to do something they haven't had to do in at least four years. And and that's work with a new system and or a new trigger man within that system. So that will be fascinating to watch that meld over in Westwood over the next few years. But from a talent and a, a profile, a resume standpoint, I think Dante Moore has ex- put an exclamation point at the end uh, of his run. Uh, you think of the the quarterback's, near number one uh the winning dante has done has exceeded a lot of those guys um arch manning has not won a state championship dante has two went to three niko iamaliaba zero state titles malachi nelson zero state titles jackson arnold did not win it this year uh the 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 resume from a winning standpoint jane rashada did not win one in high school the The winning is different with dante Moore. Uh, He has been dominant in his field. And while you can make the argument, hey, football in the state of Michigan and and in Detroit specifically isn't exactly L.A. or Miami or Dallas, that's 100 percent true. But do you dominate it while it's lesser? Right. It's the Derrick Henry rule. Yeah, he played at a one a school in northern Florida on the border of Georgia and Florida against guys he should have dominated. But guess what? he did dominate them and he was the all-time leading rusher in high school history coming out. So if you're playing lesser competition, you better dominate it to stay in this elite recruit conversation. Dante Moore has done that at that level. But again, on the national stage, elite 11, big camps, OT seven, and now at the all American bowl, he has showed up and showed out and been arguably the best quarterback in the process. So I I do think that's a banner, uh, resume item for him to stand on so for us at SI and for me specifically I think Dante has only confirmed and and maintained that position as the number one quarterback and number one overall recruit in this class of 2023 but let's move over to defense where I think we don't have that same feel the number one defensive player coming into the 2022 season was Cormani McLean, number one corner lengthy ball skills athlete oriented player coming out of lakeland florida more upside than polish more uh intangible than tangible with with him what could he be versus what he is now from a technical standpoint a lot of that remains in the evaluation for Cormani mcclain we got to see him all week at the under armor uh event he was banged up Uh, he had a hammy he had a shoulder at different points um but you think of the contenders beyond Cormani McLean, right? The evaluation really hasn't changed much with Cormani. Lockdown corner, elite zone corner with ball skills, length, and physicality enough to contend in any scheme. He needs to add weight, needs to play on a lower plane and work on some of that leverage discipline and other technical items that make great corners, great corners, right? That evaluation has carried over from June, July into January. It's not the same for the primary contender now. For that number one spot on defense. Keon Keeley was ranked number three in the preseason 99. Cormani two, Dante Moore one. So it was already a razor thin margin with Cormani over Keeley for number one defensive player and number one recruit in the state of Florida, by the way. That that margin is all but gone, right? I think we can safely say that. Uh while we crunch the final numbers and make the final call, that margin has has dissipated. At a relatively quick rate, because Keon Keeley in the last 18 months, right, has emerged as not only one of the most physically impressive and imposing players in the country, but now the production, the balance is all there. And again, the one thing he'll be able to say that Arch Manning and some of these other guys can't say is we've now seen it against elite, elite, elite competition. Keon Keeley's going against Samson Lola in practice. He's going against Caden Proctor in the games. Hello. These are the two guys we're about to talk about for the number three takeaway, battling for for the number one OT spot in the country. And he's flashed dominance even against those guys. Had a big All-American Bowl showing. Uh, I believe he had a a handful of tackles, multiple tackles for loss, a sack that netted uh, the defense 15 yards, and a PBU. And a roughing the passer penalty, which meant he had just lived in the backfield again against truly elite All-American level competition. Now, again, as we said at the top of the show, getting into our second tech takeaway here, as we said at the top of the show, you take a little bit more away from the offense and the defense when you when you are heaving praise following these All-Star settings. So we have to take the Keeley stuff with a grain of salt. That's the only reason why we're not saying, "Hey." This is done. He's the number one defensive player, number one defensive recruit. He stamped it on Saturday. Let's be prisoner of the moment. Let's be knee-jerk reaction, folks, and jump into that. We can't quite do that to the same degree as maybe we just did with Dante Moore, a quarterback. Because on defense, you take it with a little bit more grain of salt. These offensive players are in very simple schemes. These tackles are are sort of put in a bind, which is why you saw pressure on just about every quarterback uh, on NBC during that broadcast. But Keeley was still the best among those pursuing said prospects. Uh, six foot five, 240 pounds. He's got great get off. The bend is elite. The power is elite. The speed to power combination is something that overwhelmed just about every offensive tackle during the week. But then here's the thing. Pass rushing is great, right? It, it's sexy. It's glorious. It, it's where, you know, your know, chicks dig the long ball that, that chicks dig sacks too, right? Um, that's that's the splash play, but when you talk about ranking somebody as the best defensive recruit in the country, I need more, I need balance, I need the total package, and my two favorite Keon Keeley plays from. This game were effort plays. One, the roughing the passer, which was, you know, let's be honest, football softening before our eyes. So you understand that. But he arrived backside, had no business getting to the quarterback because it wasn't a deep drop with a long, late-developing route. This was a half roll away from him, plant and chuck it. And Keeley was still there in time to, to draw the flag. So that was one of my favorite plays of him. And then the motor effort play, setting the edge. It was a simple off tackle run towards his side i think the west was like at the 10 yard line or something like that so the offensive tackle presents inside right so he takes a step forward opens up that gate which is supposed to entice keon kelly to crash down and fly up the field so that contain is now broken for a running play that is designed to potentially bounce outside But Keon recognized this geared down, dropped his pad level, anchored and extended against that blocker to create and set the edge, which is we talk about edge players. It's because you can set the edge and rush the passer. We get we get too lost in the rush the passer conversation. What about the technical aspects of setting the edge? Keon Keeley did it to perfection on this play. Running back turns inside, reads it, and gets stopped by Keeley's supporting cast for like a one-yard gain. It's the little things that make Keon Keeley so good. He is technically sound. He is physically built with room to improve, and he is still among the best pass rushers in the country. So in his pursuit for number one overall defensively, we do get that balance. Do we get the same level of balance from Cormani McLean, where we have a lot of physical questions? 175, 180 pounds, whatever he is, how much is he going to fill out? How much will that affect what he does so well, right? Elevating, getting off the football, running well. And, and we saw some, some holes in that game in Orlando where he was beat over the top a couple of times, including during the game itself. How much balance do we truly get with that core, Cormani McLean evaluation today versus the com- combination of balance and improvement from Keon Keely in the last 12 to 18 months? juxtaposition. You could go either or. Both are premium position players. Both have played and won against great competition. Both have excelled at just about every setting that a high school player can participate within. How do you make that call? That will be a photo finish for us at Sports Illustrated. So takeaway number one, Dante stamps his number one status. Takeaway number two, there is a battle for the number one defensive recruit in the country. That's coming out of the All-American Bowl. Let's jump into our final takeaway coming out of the AAB on ABC, as their Twitter handle suggests. Look, the beautiful thing about, first of all, technology, is we can rewind. Uh, so I wasn't at the game. I'm here I'm here in, in Florida at home, and I'm able to rewind. I'm able to rewind plays that I need to see. And luckily for me, and everyone else, I guess, The top two offensive tackles in the country were healthy and starting on opposite teams during this All-American Bowl. So for the East, current number one OT, Samson Okanlola, starting left tackle, blindside of Dante Moore. And then when the West trotted out there, Caden Proctor starting left tackle, blindside protector. How beautiful is this? Let's just go one-to-one and looking at how these two guys... In this setting where, again, it is for the defense and it is easier and more friendly for the defense to figure it out, for lack of a better phrase, let's look at how both of these guys handle these situations. And here's the one—the one common ground here. Both are very good, but also every pass rusher they face is really good. You're talking Keon Keeley, Brendan Vernon, Tamarian Parker, Darren Reed. You're talking about ACC, SEC, Power Five guys who are physically there. They are physically built and ready to go and contribute relatively early at their respective schools: Clemson, Florida, Auburn, Notre Dame. Some of the schools that these guys uh i just mentioned are committed to so we got kind of a balanced look at who they went up against and of course in this setting a lot of passing plays you know kaden procker and samson Okanlola are ready to run block yesterday like sign them up for run blocking right now they're probably the two best along with francis maui goa the two best run blocking players in this class but in the battle for number one offensive tackle ladies and gentlemen guess what we need those pass blocking reps And these two guys come from places that don't conventionally house the number one player at any position, right? Proctor's from Iowa. Okalola is from Massachusetts, right? So it's these settings where they really have to be validators. In in a lot of ways, you need to validate your game in, in these kind of settings, and camps can't provide that for linemen, right? You're not in pads. There's a lot of stipulations and rules that are are geared towards defensive linemen in these one-on-ones at Under Armour and these other camps. Can you really validate it in that regard? You can flash, but can you validate it? Probably not. In San Antonio and in Orlando, you are in full gear every day, going against great players every day, doing one-on-ones, going through team sessions, and then playing in a nationally televised game where you do get plenty of samples of your, your good on good ability. So, I think for these linemen on offense in particular, you can validate a lot uh, in these weeks. Uh, So we got to see them go back and forth as the top offensive tackles for their teams uh, and basically in the country between one another. Again, Maui Goa is our number one interior projection at SI. He's a little bit more sawed off, a little bit more compact. I think he's a today starter at guard for Miami the moment he arrives with some right tackle upside. So naturally we're going to project him inside as opposed to Lola and Proctor, where they are clearly outside types. So Okanola, first drive. I actually charted it. It was a long drive for the East. Dante Moore was dinking and dodging down the field. They ran the ball well with Justice Haynes, the Alabama signee. I was watching Lola in particular really shine against Tamarian Parker, who when Okanola wasn't blocking him, Parker, after Keon Keely, wreaked the most havoc of any defensive lineman on the field. So I think that alone is a takeaway to to put a feather in the cap of Okanlola. But during that first drive, it was about an eight or nine play drive, eight of nine reps, Okanlola won head-to-head with Tamarian Parker. The one rep he lost was a speed rush where Dante did feel some pressure and he threw an incompletion on second and goal. Every other play, run or pass blocking, Okanlola got the better of Parker. And this is where... He's so intriguing, right? This is a, a state wrestling champion who is so well-proportioned and lower body comfortable and strong and stout that he also has these movement skills that make him a pure pass blocker on the upside front. Technically, has work to do. I think he'll tell you that. Everybody can see that. Again, coming from Massachusetts, you understand that. But when it's just athlete versus athlete, you do get a sense, right? It's like a great DB covering receiver. Can you mirror or can you not? Samson Okanlola can absolutely mirror, because let me tell you, Tamarian Parker is a mature pass rusher, four-year high school starter, played 7 a ball in the state of Alabama, who can rush from a stand-up or hand-in-the-dirt position with a variety of pass-rushing moves. He can beat you with speed. He can beat you with spin. He can push-pull. He can come underneath and build out a pass-rushing package. So he got the better of Okanlola on the speed rush. But when he tried to go physical, Samson won. When he tried to redirect, this is interesting, when he tried to redirect, okanlola won, and on the one outside run play that went to Okanlola's side it was a jet sweep i think it was the first or second play of the game he was asked to reach block around to marion parker for those who don't know the pass rusher is lined up outside of the tackle and the tackle is tasked with getting outside of the outside leverage that the defender already has in order to pin him down and allow a play to work outside it was a jet sweep to nathaniel joseph And Okunlola beat Parker to the punch while weighing 50 more pounds. So the movement skills and redirection ability with Samson Okunlola really shined as both a run and pass blocker in this game. Still has technical work to do. He needs to gain more depth with that kick slide. Again, he'll tell you that. And I'm sure Parker told him that when he beat him with that speed rush uh, there at the end of the first drive. So Okunlola looked really strong. Caden Proctor, a little bit taller, right? Oklahoma 6'5", Proctor 6'6", maybe 6'7", and heavier, 330 versus 3'10", 305. So naturally, can you lean on guys? Absolutely. We know that. We don't have to worry about that part of the evaluation. But can you get low? Can you play on a lower plane? That was a bit up and down with Caden Proctor. Again, he's dealing with Keon Keeley and these other great players on occasion because he played for the West in this game. But he was a little bit inconsistent from from, from a leverage standpoint, leverage and pad level standpoint, Proctor was a bit up and down. However, his extension, when he got both mitts on you, you were sort of done. So I think this evaluation is becoming a little bit more of conventional versus modern. Caden Proctor, 6'6", 330, big physical leverage. If he gets the paws on you, he's a big dancing bear and you're done. Okanlola, a little bit leaner, a little bit more athletic, technically not there yet, but when he does need to show some short area explosion and athleticism, he can make up for some of that lack of technique. So a more modern tackle built for this day and age with smaller, shiftier pass rushers. So how do you pick, right? Proctor's going to Alabama, Okanola's going to Miami. Both programs run a variation of a pro style and wide open spread offense. You could argue that. The school they're not going to fits a little bit better, but that's a story for another day. How do you make this final call? Just like we talked about on defense with Cormani McLean and Keon Keeley, this one's going to be close at OT. The battle for OT one is very, very tight. Do you go modern? Do you go conventional? Do you go ceiling? Do you go floor? We typically lean floor at SI, right? That's why we got Dante over Nico Yamaliava and Arch Manning, right? We typically lean floor. But sometimes the ceiling is too high to ignore. Like when we put Caleb Williams as the number one player in the country coming out of the 2021 cycle, too much of a ceiling to ignore. While the floor was strong, the ceiling was kind of out of this world. Maybe that's Oak and Lola in this case. Um, we, we got to see some second level stuff for him that was very good, by the way. So movement skill wise, he checks the box athleticism wise he checks the box compared to Proctor but Proctor bigger, a little bit more physical, more extension and more comfortable with that anchor. so it is really a yin yang either or scenario between these two elite elite players. the the biggest takeaway is not only will it be a photo finish, they both might be top ten overall recruits in this class. so that's the beauty of of these these postseason settings where there's no other action going on. everybody has to focus in on one event. we get to take away. Certain things from these settings, from these scenarios, these practices, and obviously the game themselves. So to recap really quickly, first takeaway from the All-American Bowl, Dante Moore, stamps number one. Second takeaway, the battle for the top defensive recruit, razor thin between Cormani McLean and Keon Keely. And the final takeaway, battle for number one offensive tackle might be even tighter between current number one, Samson Okalola, and potential number one caden proctor so we'll be fun to crunch these final numbers over the next 48 hours or so we'll probably still be doing it while that national title game is going on so we might not see you until then so we might as well leave you with a prediction so georgia tcu out in la look i've underestimated tcu at every possible turn uh preseason certainly like everyone else did midseason absolutely you know when when programs outside of the power 5 like SMU are giving you runs for your money you don't give them the benefit of the doubt yet and still TCU undefeated regular season uh great run and obviously outlasted uh Michigan in, in that wild semifinal but then there's Georgia who we've probably overestimated throughout this entire journey right had some duds during the season and for the better part of that Michigan for that that Ohio State game excuse me Ohio State was a better team like maybe by a strong margin at times. So how in the world do we make a final prediction in this national title game? Well, you go off what, you know, George has been there. George has done that. Stetson Bennett, Kirby smart, those guys, Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo. They all have that in their resume. This is a controlled environment. The weather's not going to be an issue. So that's not a wild card that can maybe help the underdog in TCU. However, TCU has been the underdog all year long. Max Dugan, Quentin John. These guys are playmakers. They just make it happen. And defensively, here's what's interesting. Defensively, TCU has got some guys. Maybe collectively, they're not an elite defense, but individually, they've got some great players like Hodges Tomlinson on the back end. But that's the thing. Tomlinson ain't covering Brock Bowers. Can he come downhill on Kenny McIntosh? I, I don't quite see those individual matchups working well for tcu while they're on defense which means i think Georgia is going to score into the 30s so the question becomes can tcu do that i think they can but i don't think they will this will be the game where the front seven of georgia reminds everybody just how ferocious they can be the collective pass rush versus the individual pass rush so yes the attention and energy will be surrounding Jalen Carter, but those linebackers coming downhill will make an impact as pass rushers. The rest of that talented defensive line will make impacts as pass rushers. So the collective defensive effort, I think will show just like it did last year in the natty against Bryce Young and Alabama. So TCU will win some one-on-one matchups. Johnson versus Ringo will be fascinating. Give me Johnson uh, more times than not, but In the end, I think Georgia's a little bit too much offensively for TCU. And the Bulldogs go back-to-back and win the Natty somewhere in the ballpark of 31-24. to That is my final call heading into National Championship Game Monday. That's our takeaway from the All-American Bowl. We hope you enjoyed watching it. We'll talk more about the final pieces to this class of 2023 puzzle. The next time we talk ball for you right here on the state of recruiting. God bless. Garcia out.